With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a presentation of Ralphie Report Radio. Pins up a defender, stays on his feet, he dies forward to the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! Your source for the Colorado Buffaloes and the Pac-12 Conference. I need you right now. Yeah, I need you right now. So don't let me, don't let me, don't let me down. I think I'm losing my mind now. It's in my head. Darling, I hope that you'll be here when I need you the most. So don't let me, don't let me, don't let me down. Don't let me down. Don't let me down. Welcome in to the Ralphie Report Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Stern, on this beautiful Wednesday in Boulder. It's always a good day when the Buffs are 3-0, and have a bye week going on, and prospects are looking good for their season. They had a great win last weekend against the New Hampshire Wildcats, a blowout. We'll get into that a little bit. Trayvon McMillian has been a big McMillan has been a big, huge piece of this team. Obviously, Buffs need him to perform like he is right now. We'll talk about the season so far, how they've done. They've done great. Not a lot to complain about, but we'll recap what they could do better and what they'll need to do going forward if they want to find themselves in national contention come December. Buffs are on a bye week right now. Nice little week off, time off, before they have to start conference play. And the team they happen to be playing coming off the bye week is in a situation that has a lot of turmoil going on with quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson, a situation with his father complaining about Chip Kelly. Also got blown out by another FCS team in Fresno State. Looked bad in doing so. So we'll look at that. Buffs have something a lot of people haven't really talked about is that CU has a lot of new coaches on the coaching staff. And I think they've helped the team's overall performance. And I also think that Colorado, as it stands right now, has an excellent chance of winning the Pac-12 South. So obviously I'll have to dive into that. But starting off with the most recent game against New Hampshire, Excellent all-around performance by the team. Steven Montez once again looked great. Obviously, he didn't light up the stat sheet. I mean, the game was a blowout by, one could argue, the start of the third quarter when they were up 28-0, but by the middle of the third quarter, McIntyre decided to pull the plug, take him out, see what he had in Sam Neuer and Tyler Lytle. Smartly so. He had another good game, though. He's looked impressive aside from that interception right before the halftime. Another interception he had was on a risky throw, but 
Wildcats had jumped offside, so why not take a chance down the field? And it eventually got negated. I think he's going to be the guy who leads this team the rest of the way. He's a leader in the locker room. He's played excellent this year. Hasn't turned the ball over, very much at least. And he has all the tools to be potentially a first-round pick come 2019. I don't think he'll come out this year with all the good quarterbacks. But I think that it could happen going forward. Another guy who's going to be important is Trayvon McMillan. 163 yards, two touchdowns against New Hampshire. And that 75-yard run on the very first play out of the half was electric. I mean, on that play alone, he showed off all the attributes that Buffs fans have pretty much been craving. He breaks a tackle, he busts through a hole, and then he outruns all the defenders. It's it's, It's really a thing to watch, but... The hard part about the thing about McMillan is you're going to have to try to sustain that performance. He str- the th- he, he's a bigger back, and you need to open up some gaps on both the left and the right side to really get him going. And that's going to be tricky with an offensive line that struggled mightily against the only Power 5 team they've played so far in Nebraska, who, by the way, has struggled mightily out of the gate. They lost last week to Troy. So... Getting him going is going to coincide with having the offensive line play well as well. It's, it's, it's a two-fold situation that, in that sense. But look, if you told me at the beginning of the season that the Buffs were going to head into their bye week 3-0, and I'd say, okay, you know, I think they'll beat New Hampshire. I think they'll beat CSU. But I don't think they'll beat Nebraska. Not only have they blown out both New Hampshire and CSU. But they also got an upset win in Lincoln, which was their first win there since 2004. So this team is riding a wave of momentum. In life, when people get upset after being in a, being in a situation that they didn't anticipate, it's understandable. But that makes it even better when you're when you do better than you anticipate and you're in a favorable situation. I heard Colin Cowherd talking a little bit about this. His daughter is in college algebra and she's struggling to pass the course, but she's doing well in everything else. But if someone told her that this was going to happen a few weeks ago before she started college, she wouldn't have been upset. What I'm trying to say is the Buffs are riding a psychological high, so to speak, right now with how well they're doing. Now, last year they started off 3-0 and as well. But once they got into conference play, they were 2-7. and But that team, I feel, was a little bit too cocky. They thought they were going to walk into uh, Tempe. They were going to walk into a home game at Folsom against the Wildcats. And the other team was going to lay down and let them win. That didn't happen, but again, there's, this is a much younger team. This is a different atmosphere in the locker room. Last year's team lost focus at times. This year's squad is much more upbeat and much more focused and much hungrier. They didn't experience that 2016 season together. Well, at least not many of them. I'm loving the fact that they have a bye week now, though. I think that's going to help them a lot. And I talked about it a little bit 
on our last episode. They've gotten a little more banged up than a lot of people thought they would be. Juwan Winfrey missed the last game with a hamstring. Now, I think that might have been a precautionary thing, especially considering that they didn't need him at all against New Hampshire, so I think it was good to sit him out. LaVisca had a little bit of a shoulder sprain. Everyone is banged up. I mean, football is a, is a, is a contact sport. So inevitably, you're going to suffer some nicks and bruises here and there. And to have a week off before you start conference play, to recover from those nicks and bruises, to kind of get your legs back under you, so to speak, these things are all huge. And the team they're playing coming out of the bye week, man, oh, man, have things gone south with them. No pun intended. First of all, they were down to Fresno State for most of the game. And they ultimately ended up getting completely blown out. I think they're starting off the season 0-3 has to be a huge confidence killer. UCLA is a team that consistently has the best recruiting class in the country. One of the best recruiting classes in the country. They expect to do well. I mean, that's why they fired Jim Mora in the first place, right? They were 6-6. Six and six. They were kind of like when you take a reading class in elementary school and you're expected to be at certain points. You, you're supposed to reach certain bench groups. You're supposed to move from the dragon reading group to the caterpillar group, which is supposedly a step up. And you don't reach those be benchmarks. And then people start to get worried. And then the, your teacher brings in a reading instructor who's supposed to help you. But the results still aren't coming. That's what's going on with UCLA right now. They brought in a new head coach who was supposedly start, supposed to take them to the next level with all the insane talent they had on the roster. He pretty much brought in his own coaching staff. And for whatever reason... The results have not shown. Not only have they not shown, I think as a roster, they might have taken a step back. And I know they have a lot of young players. And I know there's, with the length of Kelly's contract, results weren't expected immediately, so to speak. But at the same time, to watch, come out, to watch a team play this flat, it, it, it's troubling. It has to be troubling for the fans in Westwood as well. You expected better than what you got, and you're not getting it. That's, that's the fact of the matter. Now, I remember a time when I was sitting in high school science class, and physics, which actually happens to be one of the hardest science courses in academia itself, to be honest. And I was kind of spaced out. I was... Very frustrated with the situation. I was like, why do I need to be learning this? I want to sit behind and talk about sports. I want to sit behind a microphone and talk about sports. I don't need to know physics. You don't need to be Albert Einstein to understand sports. I was frustrated. I was at kind of a standstill in my academic career, so to speak. But the physics teacher is putting all these complex concepts on the board, which look like Greek to me. It looked like another language, I'll be honest. And the principal, all of a sudden, walks into the room to observe. And, you know, we break off, we do a group activity. And when the principal 
goes over to talk to the teacher independently. I was sitting toward the front of the room, mind you. I overheard, hear her telling the teacher, this is too hard for the students. You shouldn't be teaching them this. This isn't the right curriculum. This isn't preparing them for the state exam. You know, a couple things that kind of tell her, you need to correct what you're doing in your job. Now, after this, I struggled to have purpose in studying for the exams. I struggled to find motivation to do the various homework assignments. Pretty much I lost a sense of trust, so to speak, in the teacher. In Westwood right now, Dorian Thompson Robinson's father calls out Chip Kelly. He says his play calling is bad. He's a multi, he calls him a multi-million dollar disaster. He pretty much rips him on Twitter, talk, puts him in a bad light for pretty much everyone in the country to see, including their fan base. That, those tweets went viral. They were published as articles, as many tweets are. But as, as, a, as a program, how do you go forward now? I don't understand it. If I'm Thompson Robinson, how do I trust my head coach? How do I trust that he's helping me? How do I not start to question some of the points my father made about how he wasn't the one behind all the play calling at Oregon? About how maybe he's not running things great with clo having cl practices closed off every single day. How do I trust it? I feel like he's kind of in the same situation I was when I heard my principal, high school principal call out my science teacher. It, it, it's very similar because I just, it's, it's, it's hard to have trust. It's hard to understand the why factor. And as was pointed out with a guy like Josh Rosen, a lot of millennials need to understand why they're doing things. They're not just going to sit down, lie down, whatever it is, and follow commands like a bunch of robots, like people in earlier generations would. They want to know why things are happening. And with Thompson Robinson, who's off to a very slow start, after being a hotshot recruit coming out of high school, he had in excess of 25 offers, and he chose to go to UCLA. And part of the reason which makes the situation worse he chose to go to UCLA is because he thought he could take his game to the next level there. And that, that, that hasn't happened. And I know we're veering off topic a little bit, and I know we want to talk CU football, but part of that is looking ahead and previewing our opponent. I don't think UCLA is going to pose much of a threat to the Buffs. I mean, they're a better team than New Hampshire. They should play better than they've played the first three weeks, at least if they want a chance of winning a couple games. I mean, that's a place to start for the Bruins as it stands right now. But the fact that they're coming, they have such a tumultuous situation going on in Westwood right now with all this controversy, I think that's going to play into Colorado's favor. Buffs don't have those types of distractions. They have a lot of momentum going right now. They have a team that's hungry with a lot of young players that could eventually evolve into a very good college football-esque dynasty for the next few years. 
And if they get a couple good recruits, which I see they have, maybe it could go even longer. So I'm I'm excited. I think that this is a very good situation for Colorado as it stands right now. And segueing into my next point about why CU will win the South, I think it's a division to lose. The Pac-12 South is the equivalent to an FCS, FCS conference as it stands right now. The difference in talent level between the North and the South is alarming to say the least. Just look at the situation from a ranking point of view. The North has Oregon, Washington, Stanford ranked. Stanford and Washington are both inside the top 10. Washington at 10 and Stanford at 7. Oregon is ranked 20th. If the Buffs had to play in that division and play all those teams, if they had to play Oregon and Stanford, I wouldn't be nearly as confident. But when you look at Colorado's schedule, the games that are against the toughest teams in the South are at home. All right, maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement because it's early, but and they do have a road game against USC. But their home game, they have home games against Arizona State and Utah, which are going to pose the biggest threats to them. So all of this is good for them. Arizona State hasn't looked so hot. I thought they were legit after they beat Michigan State. But then the week after, they lose to San Diego State in uninspiring fashion. Now, maybe that's a wake-up call for them, and maybe they somehow play a whole lot better going forward. But I think they could beat that team. Utah, I thought they were a good team. They had every shot to beat Washington, believe it or not. I didn't think that was going to happen. And Washington has one of the best defenses in the country. I'm not going to sit here and lie. It's a hard game to win, even if you have it at home. But the way they played on Saturday, virtually giving the ball away several times on interceptions, not capitalizing on their own turnovers, they've struggled. They haven't looked great either. I think the Buffs can beat them, especially on their home turf. USC is a young team. They looked awful. I don't know what it is when teams in the South or teams in the Pac-12 have to play a national powerhouse, they struggle. Washington should have beat Auburn, but couldn't. They couldn't bear it out. They couldn't pull it out. USC looked good early on against Texas, but they couldn't finish the game. And I'm not very impressed with this USC team. I think they could be good down the road. They have some, a good young freshman quarterback. They have a, one of the best wide receivers in the country, and Amon Ross St. Brown. But there's no reason the Buffs can't beat them either. And even if the Buffs go on the road and lose to USC, conceivably they could still win the division. I mean, the only game on CU's schedule right now that I think is going to be a definite loss is at Washington in Seattle. That's a hard game. But aside from that, I think the rest of the games are on the table. When you look at their schedule, the next game, UCLA, I think they'll win. Then they have Arizona State. They can win that. And you're looking at 5-0 and heading to Seattle. You lose to Washington, so what? You lose to USC even at that point, so what? You come home, you beat Oregon State, you're 6-2. and You beat Washington State. Cal 
has I mean Cal's look good, I'm not gonna lie. But what competition have they faced? BYU's a ranked team. They've looked better than they have last year. They've ca- taken a step under Justin Wilcox. But by the end of the season, they could finish 10-2 and two, like they did in 2016 and easily win the division. Even if they lose to Washington State, I wouldn't be too worried. Washington State's a much better team than people are giving credit right now. I mean, obviously, you want to see them face off against some better competition. But I think they're a good team. I think they could give the Buffs a challenge. But you're looking at a not remember the Pac-12 is notorious for beating for teams beating each other up. So if the Buffs finish nine and three, I think they could easily win the division, and that's realistic. And that's assuming they lose at Washington at USC, and then lose one of three home games against Arizona State, Utah, or Washington State. I think nine and three is going to get you is going to win the South for you. And then once you get to the Pac-12 title game, as fellow writer Jack Barsh noted earlier in the week, all it takes is one bad game from Jake Browning, who's prone to making mistakes, which has been masked by his defense bailing him out. So the South is very open right now, and I think it's the Buffs. The Buff, there's no reason that the Buffs shouldn't win it. As long as they play mistake-free Football, don't turn the ball over. Don't give games away, which they haven't so far. Last year, they were notorious for shooting themselves in the foot. The run defense would die at times. That's what killed them, ultimately. As long as they can hold their own, that run defense can hold the defensive line, linebacking core, which is much improved from last year, can hold their own, no reason they shouldn't win the South. As long as Montez doesn't turn the ball over, it, it, it's it's they're, they're sitting in the driver's seat right now, in my opinion. This division has been very unimpressive so far. And there's no reason that CU can't capitalize that. Speaking of that defensive line, though, Buffs brought in a couple new, had new coaches this year who they thought were going to help their performance. I think they have. One of the guys who's behind that is Kawan Drake, who's done a great job. With that defense, with that new defensive line, I think the impact he has he's had on this team has been night and day. For one, he brings a high level of energy to the table, which I love to see. I think he's helped the performance of Javier Edwards, Mustafa Johnson, who's had a major impact early on, among others. He he's done a good job improving this unit, and that's what his job was coming in. And in the long term, when you look at the impact he could have on the trajectory of the season, if that defensive line can hold up against running Utah's running game, against Washington's run game even, which is hard to stop, USC's, Arizona State's with a dual-threat quarterback, Washington State with a couple scary backs, it's, it's going to be a big difference for this team. I love what he's done with this defense. He's installed a sense of confidence in them that's helped them go out there and single-handedly win games. When you look at the penetration they got on two fourth downs against Nebraska, fourth fourth down stops, that is. When you look at how they made adjustments at halftime and shut down the run game, so to speak, in the second half. Last year's team, that wouldn't have happened. And it's not just the players. It's, they, it's not just the turnover and players. Last year's team lacked that attitude that this year's team has. 
This year they said, okay, we'll go in, we'll make some adjustments at the half, and we'll come out strong in the third quarter. And that's what they did. He could have single-handedly played a huge impact in helping them win that game. So I, I, I love that part of it. Kurt Roper, I think, has helped a ton with Steven Montez. For one, I think he's helped simplify the play calling, so to speak, with Darren Shiverini. Obviously, you got to take shots down the field, but he understands he has a lot of mismatches all across the line of scrimmage, a wide receiver running back. Having McMillan going has taken some of the weight off Steven's shoulders. Having these short option jet sweeps, screen passes, stuff like that that gives the receivers chances to make plays in space, that's been huge. I think, so, I mean, last year he was trying to do too much. And I think this year, Kurt Roper has helped him realize you don't need to be the hero every play to look good out there. In fact, doing less and allowing those guys to make plays makes you look even better because it shows off your natural intelligence as a quarterback, which in college football is rare. Because you don't always see quarterbacks willing to do that. You see a lot of guys trying to be the hero. And I think having a guy like Roper realize, helped him see the whole field, understand that he doesn't always need to go to Visca or Juwan or his first read. He can, he can go to KD. He can check the ball down. It, it's, it's really made a big impact for him, I think, having Kurt Roper in there. Roper and Drake have helped a lot. And I think having a guy like Ashley Ambrose to coach the cornerbacks has been, has been huge too. Ambrose is a former successful player, not just in college, but in the NFL. His expertise has been what's helped the defensive backs improved. Yes, Dante Wigley has struggled a little bit at times and had his moments. But, I mean, he's, he's gotten better. And Delrick Abrams, he could be a shutdown corner for this team for years, to, for the next two years. And I think Ambrose has a, plays a big role in that. Having him and a guy like McIntyre, who's one of the best defensive backs coach in, is in, in the country, that's been huge for these guys' development. And t- allowing Shadon Brown to focus a little bit more on the game planning aspect of everything and how the secondary coincides with the rest of the defense, I think that's helped. I mean, just in their formations, allowing ev- everyone to do their job. Allowing a guy like Nate Lamman to really take over, play the zone of the middle of the field and be that sideline-to-sideline hitter, which he is. So all three new hires have been home runs so far. And that's helped this team's success and will continue to do so. Not to mention the impact that Roper has had on their recruitment where he has connections in the South. So I'm excited to watch how this team plays the rest of the way. Anyway, that's all I have for today. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of this bye week and is excited to go up against UCLA next week. I'll have a preview of that coming up later on next week. And I'll also start to have some guests on going forward. Potential guy I might have on, try to have on next week is Joel Klatt, former buff, will be in town. Jeremy Bloom could be an option. And I'll also start to have some more of the Ralphie Report writers on 
so you can start to hear the sound of my voice as well. Anyway, have a great week, Buffs fans. Join us next week for the latest on the CU Buffs or for continuing coverage at ralphiereport.com, a product of SB Nation.